Hey, welcome listeners. Another episode of Unverified Accounts for You. I'm Chris, along here with Philip and Liza. What's up, guys? Hey, what's up? Hi. And very special guest, our friend Mtume Gant. What's up, Mtume? What's up? What's up? How y'all doing? Uh, so happy to have you here. Uh, oh, great why don't to be you tell here. us a bit? Uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, hey, I'm Mtume Gant. I am a filmmaker, um, long time just artist and creative person. I won't run through my whole like <laughs> life of things that I do. But um, I also am a professor of film at Purchase College. Uh, yeah, that's like the really quick version of who I am. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know you have films online and everything, so we'll provide a link to that in Fresh. our show notes. And tell me, how long have we known each other? It must be at least a couple of years now. It's a couple of years. It's it's I, I, it, this this COVID thing is weird because like I felt like I, I was able to keep track of it before COVID, and now like <laughs> we're in COVID, I can't like keep track of how long I've known people or how long I've been working on projects. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. But definitely, I think like, two to three years now, maybe I yeah. would say. Yeah, good times. Yeah, with COVID, you got to like add plus one to everything you think. Uh, however long something has been because like the year it was very hard to keep track of just because there were no very few people like past like milestones you know birthday parties or vacations or anything like that it was just like one blur of a year that both felt long and short so yeah yeah so uh yeah so this episode we're going to do i mean the reason i mean we've been wanting to bring you on him to me for a long time but we thought this was perfect because we just happened to be talking about old movies. There was this guy from the New York Times, I forget his name, but he tweeted something odd about how he had a rule in which he didn't watch movies before 1975. And then he watched Citizen Kane and he said, oh yeah, now I know why I had that rule in place. Uh, apparently, I guess he didn't like Citizen Kane. And then like shortly afterwards, the Martin Scorsese essay in Harper's came out in which he talked about how everything was just being flattened into content and film was losing its artistic vision and for some reason this caused a controversy online and we're like okay perfect time to bring on him to me because you know everything about film <laughs> and you can talk everything about it but um before we get to that topic we'll do our usual thing we'll just run through some news both light and heavy that have happened in the week that you know we think is worth commenting on obviously the big news right now is that winter storm going on in texas mm-hmm. do you guys know a lot of people in texas i do yeah Oh, yeah, because Liza, you used to live in Austin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't. But the funny thing is, not funny thing, kind of sad. A friend of mine, his his wife uh, is from Texas. And they decided like a week before, they just had a new baby to go down to visit her parents. And they got stuck <gasps> down there. Oh, geez. Yeah. And he, I'm actually working on him with a pro- on a project. And he like emailed me. He's like, dude, I have no power. I can't do anything. <laughs> I was like, don't, don't worry about the project, man. I don't care. Like, take yeah. care of yourself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, Liza, what's the report from the people you know there? Uh, they're actually okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> like they have access to Facebook and think, well, I think that they, I'm not sure where uh, my friend's husband's family is, but they actually went to his parents' house and they're in a different state. So it's one of the neighboring states, either maybe like Arkansas or Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. I was checking in with a buddy uh, who has family in, in Houston, like in the Vietnamese community. And I, I was checking in, like at first I was just kind of like, oh, this is some crazy news from America. Uh, and then I saw there was like negative 40 Celsius or something in Houston, like some insanely, like even bad for Canadians. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, I should check in on this guy. So I, I, I reached out and uh, he was actually not there at the time, but he was flying in to, to check in on his parents. They lost power, lost everything, like lost heat and so on. Um, you know, it was just shitty for a few days, but it wasn't like bad. It's, it was bad for people on the fringes, right? You know, folks who were 
of homeless course, or like, you know, don't have like the right, you know, or living in homes that are not renovated. Um, you know, people were freezing and dying, like children were freezing and dying right out there. So very bad situation. Um, and I guess we're going to talk about this, but it what I found really disappointing about it, just for like the, you know, the conversation around it was that like, it was all this like left versus right bullshit. And they didn't really talk about, you know, the, the topic that should have come up, which was like, how do we fix this? How do we prepare for climate change? Because this is related. Like, how do we like take this as an example to resolve things, not just in Texas, but across the states involving, you know, power infrastructure and all these important bits. But it was all just like, oh, you know, Trumpers are dying. So we're happy. And all this like usual shit you see, right? Yeah. No, it just became another opportunity to blame something pretty irrelevant. If, you, if you're the governor, you blamed the, the wind power. If you were <laughs> liberals, you br- blamed Ted Cruz or just like uh, Texas Republicans. Even though, hey, uh, in New York City uh, or New York State, guess what's uh, going on now? Uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, possibly being brought down by uh, our friend Ron Kim. So, you know, Republican, mm-hmm. Democrat, doesn't matter. They're all screwing up. So it doesn't, it honestly doesn't matter who's in power yet. And nobody's really interested in fixing anything. It's just another another chance to to get one on your on your enemies. And in the meantime, everyone's just dying or whatever. We're getting ten ten thousand uh, dollar electric bills. You yeah, about that yeah. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. Hey, and and you know, um, Tume, you and I, we we kind of live in the same area. I wasn't here for Superstorm Sandy, but that knocked out New York City. You know, and um, yeah. I I have some friends who lived throughout. They were like, yeah, my entire block was without light and you know when i would walk home there was, it was just complete darkness uh, so no very well possible that that can happen here you know like this year maybe in a few months whether it's uh because of snow or something else yeah i mean new york is always vulnerable now because it's not you know with climate change and everything and everything changing the city wasn't built for a lot of the stuff that's coming now you know so, yeah so that's going on Ho- hopefully it gets better um you hear about this? A uh, Kendall Jenner is now culturally appropriating tequila. <laughs> what? I don't. I didn't hear about this. No. What? what what's this? <laughs> she has a new tequila. She has a tequila brand. Out. And then people <laughs> don't they all? And then people got pissed off at her, saying she was some white girl uh, stealing tequila, and it it was just. I mean, some somebody made a good tweet. Um, uh, her handle is at call it karma but there's a bunch of fours instead of a's there uh but she said very hot take i understand the frustration of kendall jenner's tequila but i've never seen the same energy for people like george clooney randy gerber the rock nick jonas adam levine etc for appropriation and their tequila brands first of all i didn't know there were so many celebrity endorsed i didn't either (laughs) i guess it's kind of like the new vodka everybody everybody has one now um (laughs) but i thought she made a good point about how you know these days like this cultural appropriation thing always it's like if you're not attractive and female and especially white, nobody really cares anymore. Because Rihanna just got slammed for culturally appropriating Ganesh or something or some other Hindu god uh, as a necklace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's like people only care if you're if you're like an attractive woman, it seems. And it, it has this whole um, I described it as, you know, how sometimes like women fight because, uh, you know, like, oh, you borrowed my jeans without asking that's what it feels you like you borrowed like, my top without asking yeah you borrowed my culture without asking uh and then if you're a guy nobody cares because in the end this is all it really doesn't matter it's like, kind of like when two women show up at the same party and they're wearing the exact same dress and yeah. they just like evil eye each other across the room the whole time yeah if you think of this as like 
collectively um you know that that's what it seems to be happening and it's it's just getting very irritating like who cares if kendall jenner makes a tequila i'm sure it'll fail or it'll get propped up by her celebrity friends and, and nobody even knows about it so yeah no one's gonna drink it celebrity alcohols are just weird in general like i i i, 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 I never i mean like it's one thing if like Nas is endorsing hennessy that's like whatever but like when they make their own alcohol i'm always kind of just like man please no one gonna drink that shit yeah it's <laughs> obvious you have no hand in the process exactly you know yeah. nothing about alcohol except how to order it at the bar although it would make sense if say like lebron james opened his own winery if he if he doesn't already have one it's like okay i know you're kind of obsessed with this drink so you probably do know something about it but if, if it's like Kendall John probably just like drinks a lot of tequila. I don't think she, you know, has any more interest in that. So it's yeah. it's, a, it's a random. Wait, Wayne Gretzky has a has a line of uh, <laughs> of wines that I actually purchase quite often from my my local liquor store. Here. Is oh, it, is it good? It's actually pretty decent. It's actually, it's actually not bad. Well, there's been guys who do that, like 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 Newman's own tomato sauce and all that stuff. That some uh-huh. of them do get into it. You know, you can tell they're 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 very real about it. But some of these yeah. other ones, man, nah. They don't, oh they yeah, don't I care. forgot about like his salad dressing and his lemonade. Yeah, exactly. It was like a big. It was a big thing. I remember my, my dad was a Paul Newman is a was a is a Paul Newman fan. So he was like, oh yeah, let me get the Newman's own. You know, I don't, I don't really know if he liked it. I think he just liked Paul Newman. Yeah, I mean, there, there are probably a generation of people who don't even know Paul Newman was an actor. Be like, oh yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the salad guy. I mean, that's basically what we're getting at in this discussion: is that yeah. like, how many people know that Paul Newman was Cool Hand Luke? Right. Uh, all mm-hmm. right, which is a great way to segue. Thank you, Liza. That is great. All Very right, nice. so let's talk about old movies. First of all, let's define what old movie is. I think everybody has their own definition. Some of them like way more wrong than others. I personally would define old movies any anything before, let's say, seventies. You know, kind of when I think by six, uh, by then color movies were predominant, but definitely, um, at least 70s at the latest before 70s. What about you guys? Pre code era movies are old movies. What does that mean? Uh, w- w- what exactly is that date? The pre, uh, I'm too may help me out. Pre code era movies, yeah. Th- 30, I mean, it's like weird. I think people usually associate pre code with like pre 1940s, though the code came in like the mid 30s, but it wasn't universally enacted to like the 40s. Mm. Yeah. Wait, so Liza, by your definition, uh, it has to be older than the 40s? I tend to play, like, I think the same thing as you, like, more like preco, like black and white, you know? If it's black mm-hmm. and white, it's an old movie. If it's in color, that's a more modern movie. Yeah. Although, uh, like, you know, Gone with the Wind was, was in color. So I, I would think more like, when did the majority of, of Ma- movies well, major- become color? Right, majority yeah, yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. it's like the artist and whatever. Uh, recent black Philip, and then Professor Gant, uh, you know, tell us what the correct answer is. But l- <laughs> let's hear from Philip first. Uh, I would. Uh, this is kind of more of a feel thing because I don't have as much of a background in these kind of eras of movies. But um, I would feel that like movies in the '80s and and newer are new movies, and prior to the '80s are old movies. Just because I feel like there's a shift in tone, just in how like people acted and stuff in the '60s and '70s over to the '80s. Like in the '80s, once you started having all those like kind of like Brat Pack like you know teen films, it felt like a different era to me. So mm-hmm. for me, that's that's kind of more quote unquote contemporary or whatever. Um, I, so this is this. I'm gonna have to give two answers, kind of like I think the or maybe even three, but they'll be they'll be very short. I mean, the weird thing about it is like old movies is like a really weird term to say because like if you talk to me, everything that's gonna be old is before I was born. So it's like pre nineteen in my brain, pre nineteen eighty is is an older movie, right? Like when I when if I watch The French Connection, that's an older movie, right? And now old movie yeah, is like black and white. But if we talk to my students, I I, I remember last year. I was um, 
I had two of my students watch uh, this movie, White Dog by Sam Fuller, which was made in the early 80s, right? And and they said, oh my God, uh, Professor M. Tume made us watch this old movie called White Dog. So like, <laughs> so, like for them, that's an old movie. So the, the very definition of it is so flimsy. But if I have to think about it in my head, I don't know. Like I would say um, anything pre pre-70s but even then it feels if it, it feels flimsy to to to, to even say that yeah. which i think is part of the problem with the overall argument against old movies yeah just, how just old the, are your students like how um like what year are they born i'm trying to do 18, the math in my head uh, so if they're about they range from I, I teach usually freshmen so i'm teaching 18 to 20 21 year olds so i, I usually so basically never, born like born in like 2000 2000 yeah so yeah and and yeah. i've been doing it for a couple of years now so yeah so yeah it, well, in that, that explains range. why to them old movies are like lord of the rings Right. Yeah, exactly. Because it wasn't around when they were born. Like, you yeah. know, like, you know, like, like the Matrix for some of them is an old movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Terminator is definitely an old movie. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. had students tell me once that Terminator was too slow to watch. So, the, so for them, no. that's an old, but, th- but, but think about it. They grew up in hypermedia. So that's, that's old to them if it's slow. But I get what they're talking because if you watch T two and compare it to T one, it T one is slow. It plays yeah, more like a horror movie, which is yeah, why I totally. always liked it less. Because when I was a kid, I was scared by Terminator one. <laughs> whereas Terminator two, you're like, hell yeah, blow shit up, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I compare Terminator two to like the fucking Transformers movies, and it's like completely <laughs> different. Like, night and day. <laughs> Terminator yeah. two is intellectual. It has like compared. I mean, by itself, I think it it has quite some interesting philosophical ideas. But yeah, compared to Transformers, it is like high elitist art Transformers. <laughs> yes. but um oh sam fuller uh funny you mentioned i recently watched like the crimson kimono so oh wow that yeah yeah, so. yeah. james shigeto for you, you want like old asian american actors see what they were up to watch the crimson kimono but see uh, old movies like i mean the thing is who cares who defines it as old movies right the problem is when people say old movies they often mean it dismissively like irrelevant yeah doesn't matter boring even like unwatchable um if I'm talking thinking about an old unwatchable movie, I tried watching um, To the Moon, that old Lumiere Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is kind of unwatchable because it's so different from modern cinema because it's it's shot kind of like a play, you know, like you got the camera uh, in like this, and you're looking at the stage. All these people are like doing stuff, but it, it, it's it doesn't look like a modern movie where you got like close up shots and everything. So you really don't understand what's going on. That to me says something that's you could say so old it's a little unwatchable because it's so different but if you're saying like jaws is unwatchable because it's from the 70s get the fuck out of here i also think those movies are like they shouldn't really be watched at home for the most part like those mm-hmm. movies were built for theaters you know like mm-hmm. to you know like when you're watching you know old millier films like they, they were like made for people in a in a big room right large projection and with a with an orchestra playing behind yeah it. so piano, it's like right? yeah you know, a piano or, or you know, at best an orchestra at least at the very least a piano accompaniment so it's like it's being distorted out of the medium so i also think when sometimes people say oh old movies suck i'm like you're not even watching it in like the medium that it was made in mm-hmm. and i'm talking about like mm-hmm. 20s mm-hmm. 1915 things like that yeah but those those kind of movies, I I've only watched them in film class. Like I didn't watch them. I wouldn't watch them. Like I wouldn't turn. You know, I don't I don't know. They're on the Criterion Collection. Like I wouldn't you know put them on my TV right and stream them. You know, it was kind of watched yeah. as an example of like this is the history of film, not so much like hey, this is a film that's like you know worth watching as entertainment necessarily. 
Yeah. I once went to watch a silent movie at a theater. It was a date, but they didn't have like the music soundtrack. So it was actually <laughs> really silent. And it was very weird because you could hear all the ambient noise from outside and there was no- <laughs> nothing to set the mood. It, I, I, I forget what the movie was called. It, it has something to do with Jack the Ripper. Um, but it was also hard to understand because like, because it was a silent movie, you would have like the dialogue cards that would pop up every like 10, 15 seconds. But before that, everything is kind of pantomime. I think out of that context of that period, you don't really know what people are doing. I mean, you mm-hmm. can kind of guess at it, but it, it is basically a different me- medium. Um, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I think the important question to ask is now, what do we lose when we dismiss uh, like old movies. Maybe we should talk about the Lexi Alexander scandal. Oh, not scandal. Uh, controversy. I mean, Liza, you brought this to my attention because you said you were like blocked by her, and then I checked out a lot <laughs> of like film Twitter. Had apparently, been I didn't realize I was blocked by her. I saw the screenshots of her original tweet, mm-hmm. and then, um, and then when I went to her account, I found out that I'm blocked by her and Brianna Wu. Yeah. All right. So you got so, blocked. You got blockchained. Yeah, I think we all have experience with that. Yeah. I mean, at this point, if you're not blockchained, you're you're not saying. You're not saying anything worth saying. But uh, Liza, so uh, tell us who Alexi Alexander is, why she was being embroiled in this uh, thing. Yeah, so Lexi Alexander is a, well, she calls herself a filmmaker. <laughs> calls we can, herself? I'm going to, I wouldn't call her a filmmaker, not after this. I mean, uh, if you look at her filmography, it's a, let's say it's questionable. <laughs> um, she basically started a gigantic Twitter storm by tweeting out that she hates black and white movies. She hates old movies because they're all misogynist and racist. Um, a lot of people started to agree with her. Then uh, an Emerson college student uh, tweeted at her something mean, basically along the lines of like, fuck you. <laughs> and she threatened to show his school his tweet and have him kicked out, which resulted in more backlash. You know, the backlash got superheated. Yeah, let's let's talk about. I mean, first of all, it's it's so childish her trying to, I guess, cancel the the college student. I mean, you're, you're on Twitter, uh, you know, that's what happens on Twitter. But okay, but well, the, what are her movies? What she do? Punisher. She she did Punisher Warzone, and and like I guess her her career kind of started. I'm I don't. It's weird because I, I found out about her a couple of years ago because someone had she had she used to tweet a lot of stuff about like. Uh, about Palestinian rights because she's she's half German, half Palestinian. I think I think it's the it said uh, yes, yeah, what it is. And then um, but then she started writing weird tweets about movies, and I didn't really particularly care for them, so I stopped following her. <laughs> I was like, eh, I'm good, right? And um, but she started off in like mixed martial arts or something like that, and she was doing oh. um, she did Green Street Hooligans, Punisher War Zone. And a weird movie called Lifted that, like, the, if you look at the poster, it looks like some weird uh, American propaganda movie. But she hasn't done a movie in 10 years, which is like, you know, a lot of making movies is hard. You know, I, I'm not going to like, you know. But at the same token, to act like you are super knowledgeable about film across the board, you know, like, you know, against some other people. I'm like, Lexi, you may need to, you know, take a few steps back <laughs> acting like you are <laughs> genius of film. She's also acting like, like she writes off old movies for being problematic or boring. And then she she tries to play it off like she's being so virtuous by not watching them. Like she's so proud right. of herself, you know? And then she compares it to like the, you know, the frustration that people have with people like her who just write off like humongous swaths of movies 
Uh, she compares them to like anti-Palestinian sentiments. Like she's so over the top. Yeah, yeah that's a big reach. Um, let's get into that. Like, what is like with this crowd? Like, what is their problem with old movies? I mean, we have various theories, so I think going through them it would would be helpful. Like, what what do you guys think? Like, what what do you think they're getting out of this? Like, why? Would, it's it's one thing to just like not watch it, maybe because you don't like it, but to make it a big point in your like online platform and personality and be proud of it. Like what's going on? I actually think that these people don't like, they actually, they don't actually like art. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I actually don't, I I don't think, I think they're intimidated by art. They don't like it. They're, they're social strivers. So they're like, their whole approach to making movies, I think in the culture of movie making is like the same as like a person trying to, you know, be in business or something like that or or they don't approach it as you know the classic way we think about artists who are trying to make expressive work they just want to be you know in the in the system making it making it making it making it making it and i for some reason they have this weird um convoluted perception that dunking on the past is the way to do it but i think it's also tied up into the very liberal kind of uh thought process of everything before was really bad and we are now the Mm -hmm. virtuous ones of Mm -hmm. today like everything that's happening (laughs) 2020 Mm -hmm. post me too is virtue everything pre me too (laughs) so that's how they like use themselves to get jobs you know what i'm saying like i'm the virtuous one i'm gonna correct the ugly past that you made so hire me and it's like get the fuck out of here yeah do do you think like the the issue with you know they're they don't like art they don't like artistic merit is that because they're not capable of producing it or because they see more advantage in just ignoring artistic merit and going for you know in, in this case like uh virtue signaling around like yeah diversity i think the latter is it that's like their that's kind of their bread and butter right they're more capable of doing that than they are necessarily at like making something that's creative and expressive well i think they would just have a different definition of art because like take say uh, your stereotypical corporate suit studio head. Um, I've always pushed back against this idea, especially in the early days of media representation. People would say, "Oh, the movie studio heads, all they care about is money. Just prove that you can make money, and uh, they'll follow you." And I'm like, "Yeah, but if their sole concern was making money, they would have just gone to Wall Street or something." Like the movie business is incredibly difficult. And a great rate of failure. So why would you go in it if you wanted to make money? I mean, sure, they don't want to lose money, but they got other objectives in mind. So if you're, um, if you, even if you are like a standard corporate suit, you do have an ideology of what you want to show. And I think these people, their ideology is very moralistic. They think that art should serve the purpose of like correcting people's attitudes, social behavior. I mean, How convenient for them too, right? (laughs) I mean, we talked about in our last pod, this is what Brett Easton Ellis talks about in White, where it's just a different definition of art. I I think they see the old, uh, you know, the old movie crowd as being more aesthetic focused and they think that's wrong. They think that's probably too white male privileged or whatever. So their definition of art is it's got to teach the right lessons. Therefore, um, all these old movies suck. And that's why... Ideology over aesthetics. Right, yeah. yeah. I think that when they think of movie making specifically, they think of glamour and they think of fame. They don't think about like what it really takes to, to make a movie, everything that goes into it behind the scenes. They don't even... They're not interested in it. They don't care. They have no respect for it. And Tumi, you also had uh, an interesting theory that these people also haven't watched a lot of movies. They have an inferiority complex. They don't totally. think they can catch up. So yeah, I mean, tell us more about that. I mean, since totally. You are I mean, in the some, business. something that like you know, 
I mean, like kind of like in a little bit of my history, like I've, you know, I've been in the movie business for like, I was an actor first for like 25 years. Right. And something that I've, that I, that I always noticed was um, when you, when you in, uh, encounter someone who's like maybe like new to the movie business or like, you know, they kind of got there like through like a side kind of like they weren't doing this at like 15 or 18 or even 25 at like 30, they got there. Right. And they're like, okay, I'm into this. You know, I like it. I want to make movies. And a lot of times like these people will, they'll they'll take one of two kind of roads. One of like, you know what? I really want to study this stuff and like, get next to the people who really know stuff so they become a student and they attach themselves to people who have had long t- a lot of knowledge then you get these people kind of like the lexi alexander types who are just kind of like pompous and act like well i don't have to know any of this stuff like i got here already like i'm ba- i'm bad shit and but it's actually kind of an inferiority complex. They have it's, it's it's that person who like acts like they can fight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> to like make <laughs> to like try to maybe ward off the people who can actually throw hands right by acting like really big and tough. And that's what it is. It's like she's people like that are able to deflect any conversation on movies by saying, well, all that stuff is just sexist and racist anyway, so I don't care. And that's an easy way to kind of deflect everything in history, which also, like, is just bad because it's also pretending, like, every movie in history that was old was made by white men, which is just not fucking true. But, you know, like, that's, like, the big issue. And I I think that's a very important point um, because... I have Criterion Channel. You go on that. Half the movies are like from like Asia, India, Africa, and these are like all from like the '60s and before. Yeah. Uh, and so to think that, yeah. Anyway, anyway, go go off more on that. Yeah, I mean that's that's like a thing. It's like yes, was Hollywood dominated by white men? Of course. But first of all, to classify old movies as like as the old world of movies that in development just being a white male thing is completely ahistorical. And if anything, helps white people feel like they've created the world more. When like, look, look, man, let's think about it. Uh, Hollywood has been stealing off Japan since like the beginning of it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Once Japan got their like got got their their fingers into really movie making, which you know in, in the 30s and the 40s, Hollywood been stealing from Japan for since forever. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, come on, like the craft of movie making has been shaped by the world for a long time. You had African filmmakers in the 60s making films into the 70s, right? You have third cinema, like all of this stuff. And then you have people like Agnes Varda was making movies in the 50s. It's in the 60s. Like, what are you talking about? Ida Lupino, like you have these people. So you're just erasing them. And I, I get acknowledging the issues of the past, but there's this attitude that I actually think is quite imperialist by saying that everything in the past was just evil. And then we just have to kind of clean it. It, it, it feels like Christians jumping into Africa or, you know, or South or Asia yeah. saying, you must clean your old ways and take this new thing. It's some doctrine <laughs> shit. I hate it, man. It's, it's a really terrible yeah. attitude. There's also this proclamation there that says that like everything past a certain point that we're a part of is, squeaky clean, unproblematic, like this is the way it should be, you know. Like the 1975 thing that that one tweet dropped was like like mind-boggling to me because I'm like, did you forget about Harvey Weinstein? Like, did you <laughs> no, forget exactly. about like what? Me Too? Plus, it was, it was a very random date. I was trying to figure out why he picked that. Maybe he just likes yeah. the band 1975, so he just... <laughs> it. Speaking of Agnes Varda, I recently watched Cleo from 5 to 7. Very oh, odd yeah. movie, but it's... Uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah and, and these people... 
like this whole like woke crowd that that they ha- they always reveal their limited uh, imagination because they. And to me, you talked about them thinking that white men invented everything, and you see this when uh, they think the height of, I don't know, uh, the you know, minority representation is when we paste ourselves into European history because that that's all they they think they think like world history in general. The only thing that mattered was like European history, just like the only movies that mattered were the ones made by uh, white men, especially probably like twisted crooked white men and uh, and that's what they want to take over and, and that's all, all they can think about you're alluding to like race bending movies and stuff yeah right? like race bending like, like that god awful new Anne Boleyn movie that's like gonna happen oh. Jesus Christ what's the name of that big series that's on um, Netflix right now that everybody's Bridgerton? watching Bridgerton yeah, yeah. yeah. oh my god I um, actually uh, I was very glad to see there was a re- uh, article in the LA review of books that criticized the movie and um there was, there was, I have not, I've only seen about three episodes and uh, I've kind of want to finish, I want to hate watch it. But apparently, in like the fourth or fifth episode, they explain why black people have risen to the class of aristocracy. Oh, in wow. And then, <laughs> and then uh, one of them explains that many, many years ago, the white king of England fell in love with a black woman and that f- like basically freed us all and love conquers all. So are, Wait, they like, what? Are, they ret- are they like retconning slavery or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> like what and are they the art- doing? And the article brought up the the you know things like well if you wanted to talk about you know if you wanted to show like a black people in a costume drama you could have made a movie about Haiti. Lots of interesting things going on there. Mm-hmm. People like Danny Glover have been trying to make a movie about the Haitian Revolution forever. Yeah. But surprise, surprise, Hollywood won't let him mm-hmm. to the point where uh, he had to get funding from like Hugo Chavez. <laughs> Yeah, but that's actually that's actually a good point, right? Because maybe this like race bending stuff is a, a, just the fact that like there's still gatekeepers in place that want certain stories to be told, even if they're told with like black and yellow and brown faces in place of white faces. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and there's a, and there's tons of because who was the wasn't the one of the actresses from Crazy Rich Asians? Wasn't she in a in a Gemma race bending movie? Yeah, wasn't she in a uh, race bending movie where she played? Oh yeah, like yeah. A, Mr. Malcolm's List. That's yes, coming out. Right. Mm, yeah. Oh, it's coming out. Oh, it hasn't yeah. come out I thought yet. Thought it was Mary out. Queen of Scots. Well, yeah. she was in that too. I guess she's the go-to uh, Asian woman when you need like a handmaiden. It's because for the she has a queen. British accent. Yeah, uh, and then you have her. And then you have like 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 and Jodie Turner Smith, who's also from Britain. She's doing the Anne Boleyn. Yeah, exactly. Oh where it's God. just like you know the thing about that is is like you know. People also don't know. I went to theater school. I went to. I have a. I'm a BFA in acting. So like. So like. There's this thing with a lot of like actors when they're when they're trained, they still think even ones of color that the playing Western royalty is still the height of like roles, and they still have that ingrained in their brain. So you know, like playing uh, an African queen in a film is not as big as playing Mary Queen of Scots or playing, you know, in an American film, someone from Japan or China being a, a great monarch from there is not as interesting. But is there know? some, I mean, is there some reality with respect to say like salaries being paid for, you know, for that kind of thing? Like the, the, the top grossing um, actors in say stage theater might be ones in Shakespeare, Shakespearean uh roles right rather than roles in like stories that are not ones that we kind of grew up with or whatever hmm. is that part of the reality too 
uh maybe maybe i don't know i know th- maybe there's a, a lot more i don't know, like 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 overall like large salary but like being able to do shakespeare yeah. is prestigious it's i would say it's a yeah. prestige thing like you get that like i'm up there with vanessa redgrave type type shit you know rather than um you know i can say i did that you know rather than how much money they're making i don't know uh-huh. okay yeah because if it were about money they would just demand equal salary for playing like a you know an african queen or like an asian emperor or something like that but they don't and yeah, prestige is precisely it because that this is my uh, one of my theories I, I think these people are the type of people who grew up with the books they read and the movies they watched they they grew up idolizing these things like this is why i got into movies because i loved casablanca or if i don't know if they became a painter it's because i I love picasso or something then they get to a certain age and they realize uh not only um are they kind of excluded from this old boys network or whatever but a lot of guys who made these things that they once loved were kind of crappy individuals and they can't reconcile that so then but you know you can't travel back in time and change the past uh so their solution is um, I don't like being reminded all the time that all the stuff that I grew up liking were made by these like old white guys that probably would discriminate against me. Um, I don't like seeing that there were, at least in the scenes that I'm interested in, in like the art scenes, there were no women or there were no people of color or fewer than I want. What can I do about this since I can't change the past? Okay, if I can't change the past, I'm going to erase it. I'm going to disqualify it somehow and be like, um, oh, you know, uh, Renoir was kind of a bad husband. Erase, uh, take his paintings down from the Louvre, um, whatever. And and that's why they they can't separate the the you know the artist from the art because I think I think it makes them feel bad. And this is what they're trying to do. And that's why they say, well, let, let's start over. Let's reset everything. Now we're in charge. Now we're going to create the canon. And you you better like it, uh, or you're you're like you're no good. Right, as opposed person. to say maybe like looking at the problems that the artist had as part of the context of appreciating the art, right? Yeah, like, but but I think they're afraid to appreciate the art because because they think that still because validates the validates you know, the, them glorifies yeah. them so they're like yeah I don't we don't want to do that yeah and it's just a weird approach like I watched a, a film a old Marlena Dietrich film recently um, uh, was it Shang I think it was Shanghai Express. And I've I had heard of this film uh, for both positive and negative reasons, and I watched it because um, it's one of the first films with what's his name, uh, uh, Warner Oland, who played uh, the Fu Manchu character, or not Fu Manchu? Was, oh, it, yeah. was, it, was it Fu Manchu? No, he played the uh, the, the, the Charlie Chan. Excuse me, he played the Charlie oh, okay. Chan guy, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's one of his first like roles, like playing an Asian, you know, and totally just looks. It's just it's just so bad. It's like so bad, and but it's like. I want to watch it because I need to engage with history. It's bad. The film is interesting. And there's some interesting things to learn about how white people perceive themselves um, with within the world. And it, it it has some things that are interesting, some things that are really bad. And I'm like, but you don't want to engage with history. You just want to, like, wash it off. Like, it's just bad. So it's bad. And it's like, <laughs> eh, that's not how history really works, right? It's not how the present works either, because then what then becomes the opposite. If it's made now, it's suddenly good because it was diverse and uh, it, it hit all the qualifiers that are uh, needed in your HR um, application to make a good film work. Yeah. Yeah. And, guess, and guess what? 20 years from now, uh, you're probably going to be canceled, too, by your own you know standards. It's just going to get ratcheted up higher and higher. 
But I'm going to talking about history. It is very important to even look at things that are like, you know, racist or bigoted or sexist or whatever, because you do, because if you don't, you even forget stuff like that happened. Like, mm-hmm. t- say, take something like Breakfast at Tiffany's, for example, obvious infamous uh, racist character in there. But until you see it for yourself, it just becomes kind of like a, a myth. Like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe Asians kind of had a bad in the, the 60s or whenever that movie was made. But until you see that, you don't actually get to see it. And that's why media rep can be very useful in that it's the only way that really shows a lot of the unquantifiable things. Oh, I, I want to add one thing. But also in that movie, Anna Mae Wong is in it in Shanghai Express. And she's amazing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's like, if I am I not going to watch an Anna Mae Wong performance because Warner Olin is in it and it's just old? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. come on, like, that's just bad. Like, I'm going to ignore that Anna Mae Wong was an amazing actress. Yes, who was, you know, totally marginalized in Hollywood. But the stuff that she did was, was incredible to look at. So I'm just going to knock it off because it was racist and sexist. What would someone like um, Lexi Alexander say about the movie Triumph of the Will? Oof. Well, see, th- that, w- that, w- that would complicate it. She would, just, she would say she has, uh, Lenny Riefenstahl had internalized. She would go into internalized. <laughs> really? <laughs> right. Well, also, I mean, it's, that's, that's tough because it, it was made by a woman. So I, I wonder how she would get to her, um, her arguments around gender and how that reflects racism and anti-Semitism. And so, but then, and then she's also German, but I, th- I believe she's, it, I actually don't know. I'd be very curious. Someone should put her on the spot on Twitter and, say, and ask her. <laughs> so are any of us not blocked by Lexi? I'm, it's funny. I called her out, got a, I got a, got a, got a nice thing and she didn't block me, but I wasn't, I wasn't following, I wasn't following the douchey blockchain. That's why I didn't, I didn't get, so. But if I if I go at her again, she'll probably block me, which I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Triumph of the Will, but if as I say it was put on like Criterion Channel, there was an easy way to access it. I would definitely watch it. I think it's very yeah. important it's on to YouTube. watch. YouTube. Oh, okay. Maybe I've seen it. it. Yeah, I've seen it. I mean, like, look, it's interesting. And I've had this issue with actually with some of my some students. Um I, I think you should watch it. Um, mm-hmm. um I I watched it. It's a it's a interesting film to see how you can propagandize um the image in a really clear and Beautiful pointed way. and pointed way. Um the editing. I mean, if you think about it, it's absurd. <laughs> right? You're just like, yeah. oh my god, it's absurd. But it's it's you should study it to 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 know what it is and then study letting Riefenstahl as a person who's a very it's a really good documentary called um, Hitler's Hollywood and it I talks, saw that it's a great yeah. documentary it's a really great documentary it's talking about the history of Nazi films and and their their Hollywood and it's just interesting to see how they how easily it is to make image propaganda so you should totally watch it yeah because yeah, there are modern triumph of the wills, maybe not that explicit, but the elements are there. And how you mm-hmm. how the hell are you going to mm-hmm. sniff it out unless you've seen the original? Because mm-hmm. you know that's the that's how they'll get it one up up on you is that you won't even know it's there in front of you. So mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, the film that I would throw into this like list of films that are problematic but still kind of important to watch is Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. The Definitely. 1915 one, not the, not the uh, 2016 one. Not the Nate years. Parker one. I, yeah, no, I don't, 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 don't watch that, that movie. Oh, okay. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, it sucks. Um, so when I watched this movie, I watched it I watched it in film class back in college and uh, my, my film professor who's like this old German guy was like, I'm about to show you something really disturbing but it's extremely important that we watch this because I think in this film, like D.W. Griffith basically 
invented a whole bunch of the techniques you see in film exactly. up to yeah. today, yeah. like the pan in, the close up, the track, like tracking, all this stuff, right? But the film at its heart is like the con the content is like this extremely racist, you know, uh, film about the Civil War. I think they had uh, a white actor, you know, playing a black character mm -hmm. in blackface, like all this shit that we we know is bad. Like you should be able to watch it and say, I understand the content is bad, mm -hmm. but also say like, say, okay, well, this is, is interesting that this was the line 1915 when these techniques were invented, which are, you know, pretty effectively used in this movie. And then, you know, obviously modernized and used kind of throughout history up to today. Um, but that's what I definitely think about Spurs Nation. The problem with people like Lexi and like Brianna Wu is that they think that just showing it is endorsement. Yeah, right. Th that you can't learn a lesson from it. And I think it uh, betrays their core belief that like uh, they think attention, that that's what they're all after. So th therefore, even critical attention uh, uh, in terms of, you know, l watching something to criticize it is is still a benefit for the subject being criticized because... All they want is attention. They think all attention is good attention. It's, it's a very kind of, um, I guess, reality TV mindset. So even if you're watching something to, you know, question it, to probe it and all that, they're like, no, no, pay attention to me instead. Yeah. And in, so this is something that, that I think that's pretty big in universities now because, like, it's interesting to hear, you know, um, you know, Philip, when you were in school, that you could like watch Birth of a Nation. And like, there's like a lot of arguments that you should like not even show that in universities, even in film studies, that you should show it or you should not show it. And the interesting thing to me is like, I, I don't understand how you can engage with the history of what you are a part of if you don't engage with it from a totality, right? Like if you're studying, like, I don't know, like Chris, you study law, like, would you just not study how laws were like 200 years ago <laughs> and how you came to the law and being like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And this idea that you could do that in film, that film is just this thing of like the immediate moment and like knowing about film is like reading the Hollywood reporter is like BS to <laughs> oh, me. Yeah. Like you need to know, like, do you need to like it? I'm not saying you need to like watch birth of a nation and go oh my god i watch it after a while it gets a little that movie when i watch it i'm like oh my god dude you're like using all these really techniques terribly right when i watch like <laughs> battleship potemkin i'm like this is an incredible film i feel very inspired but like mm. when i watch birth of a nation i'm like eh, this dude's it this dude's a hack right i get what he's doing but he's using it in such terrible ways so it's just like but i need to engage with that history because like i work in the damn thing and then you also have to see how that translates to how things are made now and how people still are doing things that are birth of a nation like because of that's how it was built in the first place mm -hmm. i'm too uh speaking of battleship Temkin, i just watched it a couple nights ago you because did. we talked about it it's been on my list for so long but i was just i was a little bit like maybe it's like a little too old kind of like a trip to the moon too mm -hmm. old but i watched it's very entertaining it's very engaging it is mm -hmm. it's very it's a breezy 80 minutes so it's not even a big commitment and no seriously like it's still so relevant i mean it is a propaganda film but it, it it, it's so effective because it, it just gets you so mad because like when the when the sailors there's like those rotting carcasses of mean and they're yeah. like oh, we don't want to eat this and the doctor's like oh no it's still good those are just those are just uh eggs <laughs> yeah. they're not maggots and you think about say the oh, people in texas who can't even get food and uh heat or anything like that and and the fucking governor is saying oh it, it's the wind's fault 
And you're like, oh yeah. my god, we we're all on the battleship Potemkin right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what. The, and and then like it's funny because I I show I always show the Odessa step sequence in like every any one of my introductory classes, and we talk about it, and we have a conversation around you know this film language, the development of it, but also you know I I I don't tell them. I don't not tell them the context in which the film was made. I say the film was made, you know, the Russian revolution just happened. They are like trying to commemorate that and, you know, talk about the czar and the reason why they had to make this place and all that. And I was like, this is what people have used films to make for whatever you think about it. Right. We can go into that, but like, I'm just going to not show them that because like the Soviet Union fell and like we all have negative feelings about the Soviet Union in America. So <laughs> we're just not going to show Battleship. And there's people, but there's people who act like that. Like I shouldn't show uh-huh. that movie. Like, oh my God, it's a Soviet film. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, okay. And? No, and, and to me, you brought up law and I, I find I found that very funny because then look, one of the core principles of a legal education, because I mean, a common law is all based on, you got to, Learn, track the history of law even bad law because mm. you, you got to know like mm. what influenced it what changed it, and all that i'm just trying to think of like a future where uh like law school's been wokeified and you're not allowed to learn about plessy versus ferguson <laughs> because that was a terrible decision yeah but, but, but that's but that's the point it's just to learn why it's a terrible decision right exactly yeah. and I, I think the problem with that, i think a lot of these people is that they're very sensitive they don't like confronting the ugly past they're like no no la 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 i'm not listening uh get it out of my face i don't want to know what happened and i, I think the, i think they got some, like personal issues going on i think they should probably go to therapy i think they they see art way too much as coddling their their broken sense of self and self-esteem and that's why they can't just be like hey this is what happened in the past we all know what happened i mean they're constantly complaining about how messed up and unfair society is therefore shouldn't they be happy these exist in that it, it further proves their point because if they say uh you know say white men used to dominate everything but then you erase everything they did where's the evidence you know so i I think i think that's a contradiction where they complain about how unfair the past is but they don't actually want to examine it because it like hurts their feelings and and then what was that thing that brianna Wu said it's just hit she said that that old movies are like they're better now or what, what was a word she used she said um here's the quote um, she re- she tweeted in reply to Lexi's tweet, and she was defending her and agreeing with her. And she said, "Quote: uh, Old movies hold more historical merit than enjoyment merit because audiences are just more sophisticated today." Sophisticated Transformers. Uh, okay, go back to Transformers. <laughs> All right, those sophisticated fans of the MCU, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's not pretend that all old movies weren't you know like filler and and all that because there were lots of it but to think that that in the past they were all like a bunch of like fodder for the dum-dums and now we're all all you know like smoking cigar sipping wine i don't know it's a very weird conception of yeah it's like an anti-snobbery because like there are some people who think oh you know back in the day every movie was art and nowadays all the pigs just consume you know there's an attitude which is also Mm -hmm. wrong this is like such an extreme inversion of that though it makes no sense yeah and it's like it's like this it's like this this way of looking at um everything is like this this evolution progress like just because you were born 10 days from now you're more advanced you know it's just like it's just it just doesn't make any sense to me it's so ahistorical like i but i know a lot of people who think like that you know like who think that naturally if it comes later like it's like like a camera right 
And I think I said this to you, Chris, like like another big issue with movies is like a lot of the people who who learn movies now come from a very technical first thinking. So mm-hmm. their whole thought is um, old movie isn't as good because it wasn't shot on an HD camera. Like I'm yeah, and, and I'm I'm, gonna, I'm I'm definitely te- I'm like dead serious, right? Or your movie was shot in 2K. Well, mine was shot in 6K. My movie's better, <laughs> right? And it's it's like a tech race, and they almost think that's sophistication, like the technology you have access to. So naturally, if it was made in the 30s and they had these 16 million millimeter cameras, these eight millimeter cameras, this is not very sophisticated because they didn't have the technology to make it great. And that's just such so, a terrible so way purely, to think. It's purely aesthetics. If it sounds like they're they're boiling it down to purely like, does it look sharp on my, mm-hmm. you know, 8K UHD Samsung camera or TV or whatever? That's very analogous to uh, a, a debate in gaming that I grew up with where it was all about the graphics. Like, oh, yeah, that, that game sucks. It only uses, like, the Quake 1 engine. This uses the Unreal 2 engine. And so, but, no, the game's way more fun. The old game's way more fun. It's more it's more memorable. It's like, no, 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 the, not enough particle effects, you know, things like that. And how yeah. is that not snobbery? Like, to me, how is that not, like, a new snobbery? Like, I don't get mm-hmm. that. Like, you... You basing everything on like the technology that you have. How are you not being a snob? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of interesting. You think about that, but like applying that to film. There's in gaming. There's almost like two different tracks, right? There's like the triple A track where like the big like Call of Duty, super re- realistic games, have to come out and have to have the best graphics out there, right? And then you have the indie track, right? Just like in film, where people are cool if it's like you know pixel art or like kind of Minecraft, like very you know like cell shaded stylized um imagery like they're cool with that and that and you can make things with artistic merit in that track as well is that not the case with film too because there's some there's some film buffs that still like to shoot in 16 as a kind of romanticized kind of aesthetic right that that where and they can make great films in in that mode as well yeah Um, i mean yeah totally and like there's definitely like like the inverse of like the people i only shoot on film the christopher nolans and the (laughs) sure sure, tarantinos yes it's gotta be on imax it's gotta be 35 millimeter and you know like whatever like calm down bro you know um but no i i totally agree with you i I won't even need to add i think you're you're correct (laughs) i always get the sense that some of these people just like Kind of a bad experience with some, you know, film nerds. Who I think we can all acknowledge can be irritating. Uh, maybe in college or something, they got made fun of maybe because they didn't watch like uh, I don't know, like like Solaris or something, and and they've been having that grudge ever since. Um, and to me, one uh, one thing I want to make sure to get to is I think this is kind of related because I, I think this is basically um, also I think a, a lot of this. Uh, kind of huddling, uh, circling up the wagons thing is, I think, kind of like a conspiracy of the mediocrities. They know they don't know that much. They know they're not that good. But at least they all share the same ideology. They share the same kind of social good, you know, the, their vision for it. So uh, I think what they're trying to do is um, they don't like they don't like it when, say, uh, the box office doesn't validate their their projects with something like the last jedi or birds of prey or something like that so then it's like well the box office is crooked if the critics don't like it well well, the critics are crooked and i think their dream world is is kind of like how a lot of the streaming services work now where nobody they don't release any figures no ratings no uh, no nothing uh so um they don't actually have to be accountable to anything because as bad as the old network stuff used to be at least 
you you know if you didn't bring in people and people didn't like you you got canceled but nowadays as long as you and whoever runs the this you know studio or institution agree on just your ideology or whatever then you're immune to to anything like that so i think a great example of this is uh this time article by ibrahim kendi the writer of how to be anti-racist talking about the black renaissance and i gotta tell you i looked at this list and i was like dear god they've done the impossible they've somehow made black culture uncool <laughs> <laughs> i look at that list you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of asian american culture uh-huh. like these uh-huh. very eh, weak sauce uh, uh, uh like the kind it, it, the kind of crowd that really appeals to white people who read the new yorker that kind of thing mm. so uh and to me have you read this article if so can you, can you talk more about it i unfortunately did <laughs> i unfortunately did you posted it in a, in, a, in our chat uh, uh-huh. that we have and i and, and i like bookmarked it and then another friend sent it to me and said, dude, this seems crazy. Like, like this, this seems awful. Like, could you read this? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it. And I read it and my mind was blown because you were absolutely correct. I was like, I, I felt in, <laughs> I felt embarrassed that they wanted to try to associate this stuff with my blackness. I was like, how dare you do this? Like, it was embarrassing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's. It's a weird thing, and this has been an ongoing conversation that I've been having with a lot of black uh, artists in various kind of, not even just in like film, like when it goes to like music or theater or any kind of sections of people. And an interesting thing that I've noticed is is there's two things that I see that's happening is like, one, you, you kind of alluded to it, where these are a lot of these people are people who maybe they... They struggled with kind of their art reaching people like on the ground when they were making it, when they were making it kind of early on or in college, they had, they struggled with like even connecting to their blackness when they were like trying to make work. They like grew up, you know, in an area where they didn't have any kind of real access to kind of cultural knowledge and cultural building. So like they were, were getting it pretty late. Yeah, very Asian American. Yeah, yeah, and and so now they're like affirming it, and because they went to like institutions where there was a lot of white people, or they had a lot of access, or they came with money, they've been able to kind of make themselves the kind of like the gatekeepers into the black world for them. But and but they have a kind of inferiority towards other types of work that like Mm -hmm. has a real read on what's going on, and often is dangerous. And and when I say dangerous, I mean like dangerous to the establishment. They don't they, they they like run from that stuff, and they know that like they can't hold weight. So they make these kind of proclamations. And another thing that they've been doing, and I said this about that, that movie One Night in Miami, which I think is just absolutely terrible. And it's weird because this morning <laughs> I, I I read a I read a I read a quote by the writer Kemp Powers, who I didn't also realize he also wrote Soul. I didn't realize that. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen Soul, but I, I've heard like various criticisms of it. And the interesting thing was he made this like kind of like, well, you know, on Twitter, a lot of black people will just kind of come at you and act like you're not black enough to make something. And I said, he said this in The Hollywood Reporter. And I was kind of like, dude, that's like not a good, like, why are you saying this in The Hollywood Reporter? <laughs> and next to like Aaron Sorkin. And like, you know, I'm serious. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin was like in, in the talk and the guy and the, and the woman who wrote, um, uh, the woman, the, the movie with what's her name? Um, the, the big controversy. Uh, the uh, gosh, promising young woman. Promising young woman, exactly. Oh, uh, 
yeah, with that with that writer. It was like a really odd comment to make. But what I realized was um, th- they are trying to use everything but their work, <laughs> their actual work, to mm-hmm. get them ahead, right? And they make these kind of weird proclamations about themselves. And they want to connect. Other thing I want to say was like One Night in Miami is they want to connect themselves somehow to like Malcolm X and these great black figures because they're now like these big figures in Hollywood. And it's a weird way to make yourself some kind of, and that article did that. It's a weird way to make yourself this kind of super important thing that can't, that is too big to fail. Like the black Hollywood of now is too big to fail. We can't let them, can't let them fall, even if their shit sucks because like, it's like the legacy of Malcolm and Martin and, and civil rights is now in black Hollywood. And it's like, y'all are really pompous. And also like they're running a game on people. It's BS, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One night in Miami, if people don't know, that's the Regina King movie, right? Oof. Yeah. And he run the guy Kemp powers. Yeah. She, she directed it. He, it was a play he wrote and then uh, he adapted it for film and Regina King made it. And it's, it's just, a, it's like, it's like a TV movie with like HD cameras. It's just like not. It's just not good. It's just not good yeah. at all. No, I remember when it came out. Uh, there was basically a whole guilt trip uh, placed on any reviewer who gave, would give it a bad review, and I think they blamed it on both. Get uh, basically on misogynoir if if it got a bad review. Yeah, and like, like I, I really don't. I really don't like. It's very clear when you read. Like I, I know there was the, um, the 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 controversy around promising young woman too. Uh, around that review and like look i think you can tell when something is like racist or sexist in a review and like mm-hmm. just saying someone just gave you a bad review is automatically that is like gonna limit the moments when it really is racist sexist etc mm-hmm. yeah the thing was the review wasn't even negative uh it was very positive <laughs> yeah, of the was, movie. Yeah. all he said was oh uh, you know what like i didn't initially buy carrie mulligan as a femme fatale but you know what she actually pulled it off he just said that she just didn't naturally seem like a femme fatale type. And then, so, and then she said, uh, Carrie Mulligan, you know, an actress I really like. So I, I was kind of like, uh, she's at this. She's, she interpreted that as saying she wasn't hot enough, which I get because I'm, I'm sure she's faced a lot of like misogynistic crap like that from directors and other men and everything. Um, even though she's like beautiful, but by Hollywood standards, there's always like someone hotter. Um, but it's like a femme fatale doesn't even necessarily have to be like beautiful it's more just about you know does it look like you like kill or backstab someone and and be use your like feminine wiles that's what it means it doesn't mean just basic attractiveness the people that pushed back on that same writer that criticized carrie mulligan's casting for promising young woman I, I don't I don't see the consistency when they push back on the casting of say someone who is like not the correct identity. Like, how dare you cast this person when they are not the exact same identity or don't have the exact same life experience as the character in the movie? What's no, the that, difference? That's a great point. It, again, a lot of the, the reason why these people uh, are never the the reason why everyone just gets irritated with them eventually is that their only principle there there's no like principle that you can live by. It it's, it all just depends on like. Which group is allowed to criticize which group? And it's always shifting, depending on... Uh, so so in this case, the reviewer was a gay man, in which case he is normally uh, classified as like a marginalized class. But, it, but he criticized a straight woman, which he cannot do. 
uh, because he's he's a gay white man. But if he were criticizing, I don't know, let's say uh, a minority, if he I was, don't know. It's if like, he was criticizing like James Corden for being cast as a gay man in the prom. Yeah, so that would have been like fine. That. Yeah, so it's like okay, it's so convoluted. It's shifting every day depending on your whims. So fuck you. That's what most people just end up saying, right? Or hopefully they do. But no, Liza, that's a great point. It's like okay, so you are because if the principle is you cannot ever criticize an actor's looks, male or female, then but they do it all the time. They do to it people. all the time, and they criticize women's looks too. Like let's say let's say the critic were. A woman of color let's say the critic was a black woman then she would be allowed like it doesn't even make any sense right well in maybe not necessarily because then they could say well I, they could invoke well as a woman how dare you do what men do you know it depends on the person and how far they're willing to go with this um line of thinking but what they would always do is blame it on internal internalized misogyny or internalized racism or things like that you know like if i were to do an openly negative review of, I don't know, Judas and the Black Messiah or any of the films that are like out there right now, right? Um, there would be a section of Black people who would tell me that I am the mouthpiece of white people, right? Or uh-huh. actually, I, I'll, give, you know, I'll give you the example. Right? I'll give you the example. There's actually a review in, is it Vulture? Uh, a a, a not-so-positive review of Judas and the Black Messiah, in in the in in there right now written by a black woman and one of the and one of the things that i saw that i just thought was unproductive i'm I'm not saying that she's right or she's wrong what i'm saying is 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 this they go oh how dare she write a piece in vulture that just that, that should just tell you right there that this review is full <laughs> of shit and that it's it's anti-black and i was like wait 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 wait, 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 wait. you can't say that judas and the black messiah was made by a hollywood studio so by that same graph, you could just say Judas and the Black uh-huh. Messiah is anti-black. Like, it doesn't make <laughs> any sense. It's totally inconsistent. And it's like they pull it out of their car to def- um, out of their, 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 their hip to deflect criticism. It's ridiculous. Yeah. In the end, it's like, who are their friends? If it's their friends, it's okay. If it's not, then it's not. And it's like, that is not any print. Those aren't principles. This is just, uh, you know, just clickism. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're a little over an hour now, so we should uh, approach the end. Uh, so if actually, uh, as a last thing, I'm thinking, why don't you give us a few film recommendations and then you can end uh, by plugging up. Should podcast. I go old, old movies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Old movies. Well, well, you know how, what? how about this? How about this? If you are somebody who's not really into old movies, what are some good ways to, to get into it? Ones well, that are a bit I'll, more accessible, entertaining, etc. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this in a couple of ways, right? So first, I'll kind of do it in a way to kind of hit the whole all 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 old movies are racist and sexist thing right okay i I think people should watch ida lapino's movies they're awesome she made Mm -hmm. movies in the 50s um actress and director um sometimes she did both in 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 her movies um she's i i think her most famous well-known thing is she did an episode of the twilight zone the one um the masks is the one where they are it's, it's, it's Mardi Gras and the guy makes all of his family wear masks and like their face become formed into the mask that are like the, it, it like it's them internalized okay. to be horrible people right but her movies are awesome um her, her her film The Bigamist is an excellent film it's a really interesting film and I encourage everyone to see it so like that if you if you want to maybe try silence and say oh wait a minute um 
They're all white people. Look at Oscar Michaud's films. He made like over a dozen films in the 30s and the 40s, right? Um, talk, doing stuff uh, with Paul Robeson also. Um, who's a, a legend in, in in performance. If you don't know his name, you should be looking him up. Like, look at his work. There's a lot of great stuff, you know, in there. You know, like, uh, a lot of times when I, 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 I think a lot of it is setting, right? Like, I, I show, I encourage one of my students who told me they never wanted to watch um, black and white movies but he was, and I said, what, I said, what, what kind of movies are you into? He's like, I like gangster movies. So I said, watch Public Enemy. And he said, like, what is that? I said, it's the original James Cagney movie. He watched it. And he loved it. He was like, oh, man, I love this movie. So I'm just like, what I think the graph should be, like, if, you, if there's a genre you like, look at, like, the, the buildings of the genre. Look at the, and, or look at the directors that you really like and watch the movies that they liked, right? Go, go Google it out a little bit. It's like, I don't think there's any like one size fits all. And yeah, I watch some black and white movies that don't work for me. I'm like, eh, that didn't really work for me. And I watch some that I go, man, that was like, I watched Public Enemy again recently. I love that movie, man. Cagney's, I, I'm a big Cagney guy. You know, mm-hmm. I love that dude. He's great to watch. So did that guy think there were no gangster movies? I think were that he thought, I think, no, he actually had never even heard of Public Enemy, right? He had heard like, of. Where do you think gangs come from? Like, even all yeah. the modern gangster movies, a lot of them are just. <laughs> You know, imitating those. They even have like yeah. Tommy guns that they're all bootleggers or something. Exactly. He's never even seen like Home Alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> With the, exactly. He probably. You know what though? He might not have. He's young. He might not have. Oh, like I, I keep forgetting how young college students are now. Like like to me, being born in two thousand is like you're still a baby. Yeah, it's weird. Like I I I I miss it all the time. Right. Like I'll I'll be talking to them and I'll say like uh, a movie from like the mid nineties. Like assuming they've seen it and they go. What's that? And I'm like, oh shit, that's right. Damn, that's that's before you were born, him too, mate. Damn. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, and, and then also like go to other other countries. Like I, I've been on a a huge Japanese, you know, fifties films uh, kick recently. Watching like movies like Sword of Doom, which is an incredible movie. Um, you know, Samurai Rebellion, like these movies. Mm, Samurai Rebellion is so great. Like I've been watching a lot of these movies recently. Like there's, it, like if if you are so convinced that old movies are dominated by you know white people, you know, mm-hmm. and white men, like then like go to other countries, man. Go to India. If you are <laughs> into like, if if you want to see like really good Philippine third cinema, the seventies were like, yeah. Um, that's where all the best movies are made. And like thanks to Martin Scorsese, you have all of the Lino Braca movies yeah. that are restored now. Otherwise, they would just be lost or I mean, so many of them are destroyed by uh, the Marcos administration. So if you want to see some really good movies, um, Lino Braca's movies are just they're, they're amazing. Like I, I just I wish that the Philippine film industry still looked like that, mm. produced stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I've seen Manila in the Claws of Night. That's a really great, great, great movie. Like, and 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 it's 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 a trip because that's a, a prime example of like you think about like like, like Sam Ben, the act, the uh, the African filmmaker who made like Black Girl and stuff like that. Like, if you want to see films black and white with black people, they are there. Like mm-hmm, with Asian mm-hmm. people, they are there. Like, mm-hmm. act like America is the only place that made movies, right? It's just, it's just. I think to them, it is. 
Yes. And it's the only thing that like, matters. I think that, like, if they don't like old movies and they're so used to, like, MCU pacing and, like, the, the way the plot works uh, and the way it's filmed, I think that, like, foreign films, even, like, modern foreign films, like, they couldn't handle it. No. No. It would be too slow for them. Mm-hmm. It's not in uh, – it doesn't have the same music or the same visual cues. The editing is totally different, like when you watch Japanese movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Dumi, why don't you close us off by telling us uh, about your podcast? Yeah, so I also, also have a podcast called Within Our Gates. Um, it's like a bi-weekly podcast, uh, me and my homie Adam Thomas. And we, we talk a lot about movies. We, we talk about black movies, but also I think we, we've been branching, and I think we've been branching out into kind of movies and what they say about America and stuff like that. Our most recent episode, we were talking about actually One Night in Miami. <laughs> the Nate Parker's very w- weird movie, American Skin, which I encourage no one to actually watch unless they want to, <laughs> unless they want to like mess with themselves. But then we like contrast it with um, a really weird, I call a fascinating failure. This movie called Joe, made in 1970 with Peter Boyle, that I actually encourage everyone to see, but it's a big failure. It's also Susan, it's also Susan Sarandon's first film. Um, but yeah, we talk a lot about that film and and talk about the politics of it within it. So yeah, check it out biweekly. Just follow us on Twitter, GatesPod at GatesPod. Peter Boyle, the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> no, it's a deep movie. I mean, I'll give you a brief hit about it. It's basically it's it was his first big role. It's about a a, a white executive who who whose daughter is a junkie in 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 the east village and she and he meets her boyfriend who's a drug dealer and the guy kills him Hmm. so he meets peter boyle who's this flaming like crazy racist and they they bond in their hate of like hippies and black people and immigrants and everything and it's this big kind of conversation around like poor whites and rich whites bonding on racism together Mm. but the film has this really controversial ending that peter boyle was so disturbed by because i won't tell you the ending you should watch it okay it bothered peter boyle so much that he couldn't get the reaction of the film that he thought was negative um out of his system for 25 years until everybody loves raymond Oh wow. oh wow! People don't know Peter Boyle in the seventies did a lot of. He, he wasn't a comedy guy in the seventies mm-hmm. in his acting. Like he in the sixties, he actually came up as a comedy troupe guy. But in the seventies, mm-hmm. he was doing like gangster films, like Taxi Driver, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. He was, he was a Taxi Driver. Yeah, he's in Taxi Driver. He's the uh-huh. um, he's one of the cabbies that uh oh, okay. that, that that Travis that Travis Pickle talks to, and like or like um and. The big thing with Joe, and I'll say this to wrap it up, he turned down the lead role in The French Connection because of the role in Joe, because he felt it was he couldn't play another guy who was racist. He just couldn't do it, and he he he, he didn't he didn't like it. Is an interview? If you go if you go to the Gates Pod uh, episode, we talk about it. I have a link to where he's talking about Joe and the effect it had on his life. It's really interesting. I mean, he was a deep guy. I I really like Peter Boyle. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, M. Toomey, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I'm finally, I'm glad we finally got you on. Always 
your knowledge is always well appreciated. Oh man, thank you for having me so. for for sure. Like it was it, it was a re- really great 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 being able to talk to y'all all in great yeah. great podcast for sure. Ho- hopefully we can meet up in person soon. I think yes, it's been over a year please, since we hung out. Yeah. That's yeah. I know I need it in life. I still got to come to Jersey City sometime. Yeah, man. Like ho- hopefully when it war- it warms up, things get a little bit safer. Come come out this way, man. Mhm. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode. Go watch some old movies. Go watch um, M2May's recommendations and watch all the things we mentioned on this pod as well. Learn to appreciate culture even critically. So, toodaloo, everyone. See ya. Peace. Bye.